The book of Revelation, uh, the title of this message is The Revelation of Jesus in the Book of Revelation, sort of an introduction to the book, to the main point of the book. Next week, we'll be talking about how to interpret the book of Revelation. That's going to be incredibly important. How do we interpret the text? How do we understand it? How do we handle it? How do we respond to it? That will be the subject of next week's sermon, and it will be more boring than this week's sermon, but come anyway. Book of Revelation, um, I said we're going to finish in a year, but we're only going to cover five words in the book today. So we'll need God's grace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity now to step into Revelation together. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the center of Revelation. You are the goal of the book of Revelation. You are the main point. You are the glorious centerpiece of this book. And and Lord, we know that this book um, is sort of an enigma many times. We know that it can be confusing and even intimidating and can even cause fear and all sorts of strange speculation. But we're asking, as those who love you and are loved by you, that Jesus, you would lead us in truth and in righteousness and in paths of righteousness for your namesake, Lord. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, who is a teacher of all things. We ask the Holy Spirit in our time in the book of Revelation together, you would show us more of Jesus. We ask that you would revive our hearts for the glorious Christ, who is our Savior, who was, who is, and who is to come. We ask that you would work in us a greater degree of not only fervency for Christ, but faithfulness to him. Jesus, we say together, that you are worth living for and you're worth spending our lives on. And we ask that we would be just those people. And so use the book of Revelation in our lives for that, Lord. Please now, we ask for a fresh anointing on me to teach it and preach it in a way that is faithful and fruitful for your glory and your purposes. And a fresh anointing on us to obey it for the glory of Jesus. We ask it in that wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're having trouble finding the book of Revelation, it is the last book in the Bible. And it is meant to be the last book in the Bible. It forms a bookend. The other bookend being the book of Genesis. And if you take Revelation with Genesis, it forms the perfect circle of Scripture the full communication of God to humanity. The book of Revelation brings to a great and glorious close the tremendous saga that began in Genesis when God spoke all things into existence because of love. So it forms the bookend, Revelation does, with Genesis. Genesis is the book of beginnings. But Revelation is the book of the last things. Genesis is the book of creation. Revelation is the book of consummation. Genesis starts in the earthly garden. Revelation ends in the heavenly city. Genesis gives us the heavens and the earth. Revelation brings us the new heavens and the new earth. 
In Genesis, we see the first man and his wife being set over all creation by God. In Revelation, we have the second man, Jesus Christ, and his bride, the church, ruling and reigning together over redeemed creation. Genesis, sadly, shows us the entry point of sin in the fall of humanity. But Revelation brings us to the end of sin and the redemption of humanity. In Genesis, we see that serpent, the devil, working burning deception against humanity. But in Revelation, we see the dragon, the devil, who deceived them thrown into the lake of fire where he himself will burn for all of eternity. In Genesis, new creation is broken. In Revelation, broken creation is made new. In Genesis, paradise is lost. In Revelation, paradise is restored. In Genesis, humanity is separated from God. In Revelation, we are joined ultimately to Christ. Genesis shows us in no uncertain terms how sorrow, death, pain, and tears entered the human story. But Revelation brings us to a day, the day where there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more sorrow, no more pain, and God himself will wipe away every tear. Genesis reveals our broken and sordid past, but Revelation unveils a great and glorious future. You see, Revelation really is a book of hope. Oh, there's difficult things in it for sure. It's a book of great conflict, but it is a book of victory. It is a book of redemption. It is a book of renewal. It is a book of hope. It is a book of the victory of God and all of his people sharing in that. And it's a book of prophecy. These things are future. And all of these wonderful things that are the bookend of Revelation hinge on and depend upon the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the great subject of the book. It's not the beast. It's not the false prophet. It's not the antichrist. It's not the beast that comes up from the sea or the harlot or any of those things. The great subject of the book is Jesus Christ. And that is given to us in the first five words of the book. Look there, it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That was meant by the author who is John the Apostle, the same one who wrote 1 John that we just ended studying. That is meant to be the title of the book. That's the title of the book, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Here's the first thing we'll learn. There is no S on the end of it. The Revelation. The book is not called Revelations. You can call it that if you want. That's not what John called it. That's not what the Bible calls it. It is the Revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm reading from the New American Standard. 
Some of you may have like the ESV or the New King James Version. It reads the same way, but some of you may have the New Living Translation or the NIV. And it says the revelation from Jesus Christ. It was only three words in the Greek. So to get five, it involves a little bit of interpretation. And the question is, is this book the revelation of Jesus Christ? Or is it the revelation from Jesus Christ? Or is it perhaps both? The revelation of Jesus Christ and the revelation from Jesus Christ. The difference is profound though. If it is meant to be the revelation of or about Jesus Christ, then Jesus is the central subject of the book. If it's the revelation of or about Jesus, then Jesus is the central subject of the book from start to finish. But if it's the revelation from Jesus Christ, then other issues, and there are many in the book, 22 chapters, and other issues may be central to the book. But I'm going to suggest that in a sense, both are true. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ and it is the revelation from Jesus Christ. Both concepts being faithful. If we were to read further in the verse, it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his bondservants. God the Father gave this message to Jesus Christ to give to us. So in that sense, in no uncertain terms, it is a revelation from Jesus, originally from the Father. So it is from him who got it from the Father. And accordingly, because it is a revelation from Jesus, there are a few different central themes in the book. One of the central themes is the sovereignty and glory of God strong theme in the book of Revelation. Another one is the worship of God. The book of Revelation talks about worship more than any other New Testament book. Another strong theme is the condition of the church. We will be confronted with our own condition as we get to chapters two and three. That's a strong part of the book. The battle between good and evil is another central theme and it plays out in vivid imagery in chapters 6 through 19. The righteous wrath of God. It's going to be radical to read that. Did you think that there would be no wrath for an unrepentant, rebellious world? Chapters 6 through 18 reveal the wrath of God. That's what the tribulation period is. It's not the wrath of Satan. It's not the wrath of the beast. It's not the wrath of the Antichrist. Some of those things are there. But it is the sovereign wrath of God on an unrepentant world. That's a central theme in the book of Revelation. The return of Christ. The glorious theme of the book of Revelation. If we get nothing else from the book, we will get that Jesus is coming back again. And we will see that the Bible speaks eight times more frequently of his second coming than his first coming. The vanquishing of evil is a wonderful theme of the book of Revelation. If you want to cheat and look at the end, Jesus wins. The kingdom is another strong theme. The kingdom being established The judgment, the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20 will be a big lesson. And finally, 
the renewal of all things in Revelation 21 and 22. These are the central themes of the book. And so there's a lot of them. They all play a prominent role. They're all big. There's much to learn in those things. Hence, 47 sermons at least. So it is the revelation from Jesus Christ. There are a few central themes. But the central point of every central theme is Jesus. It really is the revelation of Jesus Christ because the sovereignty and glory of God are revealed in Jesus in the book of Revelation. And the worship of God is focused on Jesus in the book of Revelation. And the condition of the church is addressed by Jesus. The battle between good and evil is won by Jesus. The righteous righteous wrath of God exposes the lordship of Jesus. The return of Christ is the climax of redemptive history. The vanquishing of evil is accomplished by Jesus. The kingdom is set up by Jesus. The judgment is according to Christ's book of life. And the renewal of all things has Jesus as its centerpiece, the sun shining in the middle of new creation. You see, the book really is about Jesus. That is why it's a good book. It's not to be feared. It's not to be set aside. It's to be rejoiced over. It's to be studied. It's to be read. It's to be obeyed because it is the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is the grand subject, the central figure, the main point. Now, returning back again to the text, the first five words, the revelation of Jesus Christ. What exactly is a revelation? Revelation in the Greek, the word that's translated into revelation there from the Greek is apokalyptis. Apokalyptis. Apo meaning from, kalyptis meaning to conceal or to cover. So revelation, it's where we get our word apocalypse. We use it all sorts of weird ways, right? Like the apocalypse and dude, that was apocalyptic and that's an apocalyptic hamburger and we use it all these weird ways. (laughs) But the idea of it is to bring out from concealment. It means revelation, uncovering, unveiling, it means apocalypto does, a apocalyptus, excuse me, a disclosure of things that otherwise would not have been known. The book of Revelation tells us things that otherwise could not have been known. That word, revelation, where we get our word apocalypse, is one of the three words used repeatedly in the New Testament to refer to the second coming of Jesus Christ. We see it in 1 Corinthians 1, 7 that says to us, you are not lacking any gift, but are awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? The coming out from cover, the unveiling. Again, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 says, when the Lord Jesus will be revealed, same word, from heaven, with his mighty angels in flaming fire. 
And 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 7 and 13 says, So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christ has come a first time. Christ is coming again. The second coming of Jesus Christ is a revelation, the revelation, apocalypse, if you will. The first coming of Jesus Christ is sometimes spoken of in different terms. The first coming in Jesus, of Jesus Christ was spoken of as an epiphania in the Greek. It's where we get our word epiphany. It means an appearance. Look at 2 Timothy 1.10, speaking of the first coming, says, the appearing epiphania of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So theologically speaking, the New Testament often speaks differently of the first and the second coming. The first coming, an epiphania, the appearing. The second coming, an apocalypsis. It's a grander, more comprehensive word. It includes not merely the things shown. Remember the first time Jesus came in the flesh, we beheld him, the only begotten God of Son, Son of God, excuse me. It includes, though, the second coming, not only the things shown, but the interpretation, the unveiling, the full meaning of the thing is the idea of revelation. So that we see that the book of Revelation as the bookend of Scripture is the final unveiling, the full interpretation of Jesus in all his glory. That's why the book is to be rejoiced over. We should be excited about the book, eager to dig in the book. There's no intimidation in the thing. It is, by God's doing, the full, final unveiling of the fullness of Jesus Christ. And so there is more Jesus in the book of Revelation than any other book in scripture. I went through and started making a list of the different ways that Jesus was spoken of in Revelation. Well, just in chapter one, he's the faithful witness the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. He's the one who loves us and the one who has released us from our sins. He's the one who made us to be a kingdom of priests. He's the one who is coming with the clouds. He is, Jesus is, the first and the last. Jesus is the living one. And he's the one, Jesus is, who holds the keys to death in Hades. And that's just chapter one. In chapter two, Jesus is the one who walks among the churches. He's the one who has the sharp two-edged sword coming from his mouth. He's the one whose eyes are a flaming fire. In chapter 3, Jesus is the one who is holy. Jesus is the one who is true. Jesus is the one that holds the key of David. He is the one that opens and no one will shut. He is the one who closes and no one will open. Jesus is called the amen. He's called the faithful and true witness. Jesus is the beginning of creation. 
In Revelation chapter 5, Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the root of David that has overcome. He is the lamb of God that was slain. In Revelation 12, Jesus is the one who rules the nations with a rod of iron. In chapter 14, he's the lamb who stands on Mount Zion. He's the one who wears the golden crown. He's the one who holds the sharp sickle for the harvest. In Revelation 19, he is the one on the great white horse. He is the bridegroom of the church. He's the faithful and true. He's the word of God. He's the king of kings and Lord of lords. In 21, he's the temple of God and the lamp of God. And in 22, he's the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star, and the one who is coming quickly is Jesus. Jesus. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it's a good book. There was something to be learned in the first coming of Jesus Christ in the epiphania, the appearing, but there is much to be gleaned as we talk about the apocalypsis, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which will be far more glorious. If we were to skip ahead in chapter one to verse seven, it says, behold, speaking of Jesus, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, those who previously denied him, crucified him. And all the tribes of the earth were mourn over him. Even so, amen. Jesus said that his second coming would be like this in Matthew 24. Jesus said, and I quote, For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. The Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. You see, in his first coming, Jesus came, in a sense, veiled and robed in humanity as the suffering servant. Good news. But Jesus will come again revealed and robed in glory as the conquering king. Jesus inaugurated the kingdom at his first coming, at his cross. But Jesus will consummate the kingdom with great power and glory when he returns. Now to be sure, there is much tribulation in between. There are difficult days ahead. Jesus told us that there would be difficult days. But the book of Revelation was given to people who were living in difficult days. For all generations as they would encounter difficult days, And for a final generation who would encounter some of the most difficult days, the book of Revelation was given for difficult days to bring comfort to God's people. That is the goal of it. To so show us the sovereignty, the power, the goodness of Jesus Christ 
that even in the worst of times, we would find reason to rejoice. That even when it seems all hope is gone, we would be a people of great hope. That even when it seems the darkest of days, we would be sure of the dawn. And so hold on. That is the goal of the book of Revelation. Not fear. This becomes evident as we move through the book. Let's just take a little whirlwind tour. If you go to the end of chapter 1 and look in verse 17, John, reflecting on his, or in the presence of a vision of Christ, says in Revelation 1.17, And when I saw him, Jesus, in his glory, I fell at his feet as a dead man. Look now, this is how it goes. And he laid his right hand upon me saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I've got this. And the living one. And I was dead, but behold, I am alive forever. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus tells John at the very beginning, there is nothing that's going to come your way over which I am not sovereign and in control. Are you afraid of death? I hold the keys. Are you afraid of the powers and the wrath of hell? I hold the keys, Jesus says. If we go to chapter 2 and we look at verse 1, he says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right, this is Jesus speaking, the one who holds the seven stars in his hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. The golden lampstands are a representation of the church. Jesus is saying to the church at the beginning of a difficult time, I am the one who is in your midst. And this has always been the hope of the church throughout ages, that as we gather, we gather to, for, and around Jesus. And that as we gather, Christ himself is in our midst. And even when we scatter, he said, lo, I am with you to the end of the age. In difficult days, he says, I am the one in the midst of the golden lampstands, the church. I am present within. If we go to chapter three, Starting in verse 20, we see an invitation. Jesus says, behold, Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant him to sit with me on the throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. A glorious invitation. Jesus says, I'm not far off in difficult days. I'm at your heart's door knocking. I want to come in and be with. I want to dine with you. I want to commune with you. And I want to give you strength to persevere in difficult days and to be seated with me on my throne for I have already overcome. This is not a book of fear. This is a book of glorious hope. If we go to chapter four, We look at verse two and we see a heavenly perspective. John says, immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. What does a throne speak of? But sovereign control, but dominion. And we get a glimpse in verse 11 of chapter four. 
those present in heaven start singing and saying, worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things, and because of thy will, they existed and were created. Now, there's difficult days ahead. But if we get an eternal perspective, if we get the perspective of heaven, there's God on the throne in control All of heaven knowing it, saying, yeah, you made everything. You're sovereign and you're in control. If we look at chapter 5, as things appear to be unraveling, verse 5, John is concerned about what's coming. And it says in Revelation 5, 5, And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah. The root of David has overcome so as to open the book in its seven seals. And he says, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Things are starting to get hairy and John is wondering, how is this going to go? And one of those who were present in heaven said, Don't weep. Look at the lion. What does a lion speak of but ultimate strength? He says to him, don't weep. Look at the lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world for our sins. And don't weep, but notice that the lamb has seven horns and seven eyes and seven spirits. This is symbolism. The number of seven speaking of completion Seven eyes, meaning omnipotence, excuse me, omniscience. He sees all things. He knows all things. Seven horns, speaking of ultimate power, omnipotence. Seven spirits, speaking of his presence. He says to John at the beginning, don't weep. Don't be afraid. Look at the lion, who is also the lamb, who has all power, sees all things, and holds all things together by the word of his power. This is not meant to be a message of fear, but of great hope. And when we're brought the lamb here, we're reminded of the centrality of the cross in the book of Revelation. Over and over again, Jesus will be referred to as the lamb, always bringing us back to the foot of the cross where we have the forgiveness of sins, where we have our redemption, where we have been brought to God, where we have been once and for all delivered from the domain of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the beloved son. The cross is central in the book of Revelation. If we go to chapter six and we look in verses 16 through 17, Now, wrath is happening on earth and it gets pretty hairy. And those who are unrepentant in verse 16, they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? You didn't think there would be no wrath, did you? Did you think that God was perverse? And he would just let evil run rampant and never deal with it? Did you think that God was unjust and would just sweep it all under the carpet at the end of time? Did you really think that wickedness would prevail? Did you really think that genocide would carry the day? If God is a God of love, 
then God is also a God of wrath. But notice, it's the wrath of the Lamb. Who is more just? Who is more fair and gracious and merciful and giving than Jesus Christ? There is only one that we can trust with wrath. It's Jesus who's willing to give himself for us. It's the wrath of the lamb. It means it's righteous wrath, that it's just. If we go to chapter seven, we pick it up in verse nine. John says, after these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. And one of the elders answered saying to me, these who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And from where have they come? And I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Again, symbolism. They've repented of their sins, put their faith in Jesus Christ. They've been made white as snow. Verse 15, They've come out of the tribulation, difficult days. Verse 15, for this reason, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst ever again, neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. Look, for the lamb is, in the center of the throne shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to springs of the water of life and God shall wipe every tear from their eyes. Even in the worst case scenario, those losing their lives in the great tribulation, there is tremendous hope in Christ himself caring. If we go to chapter 11, pick it up in verse 15. By now we're getting into the thick of things. It says in Revelation eleven fifteen, and the seventh angel sounded and there arose loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks, O Lord, the almighty who art and who wast because thou hast taken thy great power and has begun to reign. You see, even in the middle of the book, we are told evil doesn't win. Wickedness doesn't carry the day. Despair does not rule, but Christ Rules. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and his Messiah. If we look in chapter 12, maybe we'll just be done with the book of Revelation today. <laughs> we read in verse 10, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, 
Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who's that? The the devil. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the lamb and because of the word of their testimony. And they did not love their life even to death. As the great battle between good and evil unfolds, we're told in the midst of it that Satan loses and that those who become his target, those whom Christ loves, overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. If we go to chapter 15. Starting in verse one. It says, and I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had come off victorious from the beast and from his image and from the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, holding harps of God, And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are thy ways. The King of all nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou alone art holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed." See, the book of Revelation is an unveiling of the victory of God. And we are called those who have come off victorious. If we go to chapter 17. Speaking of the the forces of evil, it says in verse 14, 17, 14, 1714, the forces of evil. These will wage war against the lamb and the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. And those who are with him are called the chosen and the faithful. It's a book of victory. If we go to chapter 19, let's just cheat. Let's just go all the way to the end. (laughs) Chapter 19, here's a big cheat starting in verse one. After these things, I heard, as it were, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, okay, now this is after all that's unfolded in the tribulation, saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to God because his judgments are true and righteous for he has judged the great harlot who was corrupt in the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And the second time they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. And a voice came from the throne saying, give praise to God, all you, his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. 
And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his bride, who's that? Us, has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, write this down, John. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. I'm telling you that the book is good news. Just a little bit more, chapter 20. This is really good, starting in verse 1. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key of the abyss and the great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, and threw him into the abyss, and shut it, and sealed it over him, so that he should not deceive the nations any longer. Someone say, thank you, Jesus. Until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Someone say, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. We'll learn what that means when we get to chapter 20. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus. Dude, freak out on that. Like, If I didn't read the news, I would have thought that people being beheaded for their belief in Jesus was something from a thousand, two thousand years ago. Wow. And because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark upon their forehead and upon their hand, and they came to life and reigned with the Messiah for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is a millennial kingdom. We'll talk about it. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of the Messiah and will reign with him for a thousand years. This is great and glorious news. Jesus will be ruling and reigning and we with him. Chapter 21. This is my favorite part. Verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. It's a Jewish idiom for separations between people. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The tabernacle of God is among men and he shall dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself shall be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there shall no longer be any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain for the first things will have passed away and he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am and making all things new. And he said to me, John, write this down, for these words are faithful and true. And then in chapter 22, verse one, and he showed me a river of the water of life, 
clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. And on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his bondservants shall serve him. And they shall see his face. And his name, his name shall be upon their foreheads. And there shall no longer be any night. And they shall not have need of any light or of lamp, nor the light of the sun. Because the Lord God shall illumine them and they shall reign forever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bond servants the things which must shortly take place. And Jesus said in verse 7, And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. And may that blessing be ours in this year. Amen?